Hello and welcome to the AFPT Comics Podcast, episode 209. Wow. Thank you so much for listening. Oh my god, we're here to talk comics. Yeah. And get crunk. Yep, those are, <laughs> yep, that's what the plaque says. Uh, it does, it does. Uh, later in the show, Reggie Hudlin joins the show to talk about Milestone and uh, all of his other projects, of course, like yeah. Icon vs. Hardware, which is out in a couple days. Yeah. Um, it's going to be a good one. Yeah, we've we've read the first issue. It's a blast, oh, yeah. and it's, uh, it's good. Yeah. It, they, they legit are going to fight. It's it's, it's I love it, like, and it's like Donkey Kong. It's got a fun. It's got a fun hook. Like there's some really cool stuff happening in my. And again, uh, the interview hasn't happened yet, but I'm very excited to find out why they chose to call this crossover "Worlds mm. Collide" because yes. that is such a nostalgic like hot button title for me. I was so into DC and milestone back in the day. I had a Mm -hmm. poster for the world's collide event on my wall. So Mm -hmm. I am (laughs) really stoked about this interview. Now, do we think worlds collide could also be happening Mm. in our biggest news of the week? Oh, you mean the fact that (laughs) Dick Tracy's back? (laughs) Gosh, it's kind of a weird thing to unpack. This happened Friday night. Yes. Yeah, Warren Beatty, the classic actor director, uh, who was Dick Tracy, right, in the film, right, the feature film that came out a billion years ago, uh-huh. thirty years ago, I don't know, uh, nineteen ninety, so longer than that, almost. Yeah. So people don't may not know this. He owns the rights to Dick Tracy. That's right. Yeah, and uh, there are certain legal rules and laws to <laughs> ensure people don't just own something and never use it. So. Mm-hmm. Nathan, take it away. So yeah, so he bought the rights to Dick Tracy back in the 80s so he could make the movie. And then over the course of several years, he's he was in a legal battle against other companies who wanted to use the character to make a TV show or another movie. And he is maintained for the longest time. No, I'm going to I'm still going to do Dick Tracy two one day. Uh, yep. You guys will see. Just wait and see. I'll show all of you. And um <laughs> In order to hang on to the rights, every decade or so, he has to film something as the character. And so uh, back in 2010, a special aired uh, on uh, Turner Classic Movies where he was interviewed by Ben Mankiewicz as Dick Tracy and just sort of talked about his relationship to the film and how he hopes like next time's better. And it's this it's a really weird awkward clearly unscripted thing so yeah it's it's so bizarre and then this new one which was again was uh, that that original one aired only once this new one uh aired with zero fanfare we found out about it literally <laughs> like an hour before it aired um right. is warren Beatty on zoom with ben mankowitz and leonard malton uh, shit talking Warren Beatty, uh, <laughs> doing commentary on scenes from the movie, and then eventually getting into an argument with Beatty uh, over Zoom, where he plays both characters, both char- uh, characters in quotes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It is so bizarre. It's on YouTube, and I just, I kind of admire the pettiness of the whole enterprise because this man is 85 years old and he's like, no, I'm, I'm making Dick Tracy returns. You'll see. And he hasn't made a movie in many, many years at this point. 
I mean, he's most known at this point for the Oscars, uh, and when he him oh, and the, the, the moonlighting thing, or yeah, yeah, the, yeah, they messed up and they had said the wrong um, winner for best film. There was a um, really incredible a couple of tweets that I saw about this special because like this thing spread like wildfire among people who love to watch uh, weird train wrecks. Uh, ben Meckler said he's hoarding that Dick Tracy IP like Smaug. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and then Will Sloan tweeted, "I'm so glad Beatty has squatted on the film TV rights to Dick Tracy for decades. Would much rather have a weird special every 13 years where an elderly man does improv with Leonard Malton than a reboot with Chris Pratt or whatever. Hope he lives um, forever. <laughs> it's definitely very strange and unique. That's for sure. I mean, when when Dick Tracy when he, Beatty as Dick Tracy talks about how Zoom is uh-huh. so prevalent, and when back in his day he only had his watch, right? It's what, just like." What are what? what are you saying? Are you saying that you have lived since the twenties? What are like this character? Yeah, that Dick Tracy's like hundred and forty or something. Another unbelievable tweet. Instead of calling in a priest for last rites on his deathbed, he calls in Leonard Malton to lock down the rights for a final stretch. <laughs> Ridiculous. I mean, if you ever needed to believe in a multiverse. Just watch Warren Beatty talk to himself as Dick Tracy. It is really <laughs> wild. What was that tweet you sent me where it's like the Spider-Man? Matt Singer said the Spider-Man pointing at himself meme is dead, and now it's Warren Beatty staring at Dick Tracy at lunch. <laughs> it's so absurd. It's so absurd. I do, uh, all all joking aside, I love the, the original Dick Tracy film. Uh, to me, it's still like a top-tier comic book adaptation. It's yeah. the most... It's art directed within an inch of its life, and that's kind of the charm of it. That and it's like wall to wall Sondheim songs. I I really I just rewatched it recently for the first time in a couple of years, and it holds up in my opinion. Nice, uh, but uh, just just so strange. Wanted to talk about it just because it's so weird, and now we totally. can get to talking about actual comic books. <laughs> Well, you know, this it's a great lead-in because our next bit of news, which is definitely the biggest news, most talked about news this week, yeah. I think, uh, was the multiverse crashing together again in DC Comics with Adventures of Superman, John Kent, yeah. crossing over into the Injustice universe. Very excited about this. So if you don't know, Tom Taylor had written a lot of the Injustice comics. Mm-hmm. Um, he obviously wasn't the architect of the game, but this universe was kind of brought into the comics world Thanks to the game, mm-hmm. it never has crossed over though into the main DC universe until yeah. uh, in a couple of weeks or months from now when uh, Adventures of Superman John Kent does. Yeah, and uh, so there was an interview with uh, Tom Taylor on DC.com yes. about what we're in store for. For instance, this will be uh, John Kent, uh, Clark Kent, Superman's son, yeah. will be going into the Injustice Two Year Five part of the universe of the Injustice universe. Which you don't know the Injustice universe. Yeah, everything kicks off because Superman acts is tricked into killing Lois while she's pregnant with his child. And right. so he's seeing all the potential in his son that like never came to be and uh, maybe a different path for himself. He can see how he could have turned out differently. And it's it's interesting because, you know, Tom Taylor's been pretty open about the fact that like even though he loves injustice he obviously wrote it for like years you know yeah over 150 issues he has like a severe disconnect with the idea that superman could ever be this fascist dictator um, right but like there are things that were sort of mandated by dc editorial like superman had to be like this wonder woman had to be this like sort of subservient second in command and right. nightwing needed to be killed by damien immediately <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, so that's another key element that Tom Taylor brought up. Damien, who's who works for this evil Superman, right? Uh, and his John's one of John's best friends in this universe is probably going to try to kick, kick his ass. <laughs> yeah, um, it's it, it it's really like kind of amazing that we haven't really had a crossover. Like, I mean, it's kind of amazing that Injustice has crossed over with Masters of the Universe before it's kind of crossed <laughs> over with the main uh, DCU, right? right. And since it's the multiverse, it, you could technically, even if it fails, mm-hmm. they could just go, "Oh, it's gone. That that universe died." Right. You know. So it's 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 kind of like a low risk situation. It, uh, I did see a lot of fans annoyed though. Really? Because <laughs> they don't like the Injustice universe and the concept of it, and now they're kind of dragging John into it right. after John had this amazing Superman Son of Kal El run where it was about you know coming out and yeah. coming out to his parents and that. I, and now it seems like we're in this adventure kind of. I crazy think if you're story. if you're gonna do uh, a return to injustice, this is the way to do it, right? To to find mm-hmm. a way to explore these characters in a in a more interesting way that ties into what we know about their lives and the main continuity. It's also I don't know. It's interesting to me that that uh, Taylor is playing with the idea that like mass media consistently misunderstands Superman. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but the Ultraman design, especially in the De Silva variant cover, looks like uh, Henry Cavill's Superman suit. Like he's got Mm. he's got almost Mm. the exact same design, complete with like the weird silver piping and stuff. Right. I don't know. I, I I I totally see the idea that. Oh, also, there's been artwork that's been released for like issue number three that yep. shows the Batman and Superman costumes looking a lot more streamlined and less video gamey. Um, right. So I think there's uh, almost a a sense of doing right by these characters at long last. I, I personally found a lot of enjoyment in Injustice, especially uh, year three, the the very magic mm-hmm. John Constantine focused year, because of course I did. But <laughs> yep. uh, yeah, I don't know. I think this is going to be, I, I, I think this is going to surprise people. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. The main plot is that Ultraman wants to kill all Al- Kal-Els of right. all universes. It's basically the one, the, the classic Jet Li film. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing. Ultraman's probably Kal-El, right? He's got to be. Well, yeah, for sure. Or, oh, or they, he's, they haven't revealed that yet. Or he's like a, I don't know, maybe he's an evil. I mean, he looks like Kal-El in all the solicit artwork for mm. sure. Yeah, right. Speaking of reveals, mm. next week, DC Comics is interesting. A new trans non-binary character called Circuit Breaker. Yeah. And they are uh, in power of the Still Force, mm-hmm. uh, which is typically a villain's power. We were just talking about this off air. Trying yeah. to think of like, are there any heroes that use this? And you were saying some Flash characters have tapped into it. Right. Uh, but there hasn't been like a bona fide hero that is using the still. It's force, really, so that's really cool. yeah, it's really exciting to to see see this uh, explored further. Uh, this character comes to us from uh, writer artist A. L. Kaplan, yeah. and uh, I am so stoked to see this story. I have not uh, jumped ahead to uh, they, they appear in next week's Lazarus Planet Dark Fate. So very excited to see this. Yeah, it's a, it's one of the Lazarus Planet uh, anthology mm-hmm. issues. So there's multiple stories. Um, but, uh, not to spoil anything, but we're definitely going to see this character again cool. sometime soon. I also... So it's not just a one-off. I also love their civilian name, Jules Jourdain, a classic mm. alliterative, uh, yeah. superhero name. I'll, I'm a, I'm a sucker for it. Absolutely. I gotta change my name, because it's just not alliterative enough. David Drook. <laughs> Dulooney. 
I don't know. <laughs> there was a lot of positive news from DC Comics this week mm-hmm. because we also found out Poison Ivy is blossoming from a 12-issue series, which they announced last August. Yeah. When they last August said, no, it's not just a six-issue series. It's a 12-issue series. Uh-huh. And then a couple months later now, today, uh, yes, this week, we're getting an ongoing series starting in June with issue 13. Yeah. So basically, like, this is the, this is the little mini-series that could. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I'm so thrilled. I love this book. It's almost it's consistently in our top two. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I just uh, yeah, I, this is this is the best Poison Ivy story centric story in years. And uh, yeah, just I'm, I'm very, very pleased. G. Willow Wilson is back with, also with Marso Takara mm-hmm. and uh, Jessica Fong's doing covers with Arif Pronto on colors. Mm hmm. And Hassan Otsman Elhow on letters. Um, so it's the same creative team that we had before, which is really exciting too. So they're not changing anything. Uh-huh. I saw a lot of folks excited in part because DC has a lot of female superheroes, but they don't have a lot of solo series out there. Right. Harley Quinn's really the only one that's had maintained one. And now we have Poison Ivy's, which is it's great so, to hear. So excited. Absolutely. On top of all that, Dawn of DC, this big push for new series, they haven't announced a single solo series yet. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I don't think this is necessarily part of the Dawn of DC plan, because I think Wonder Woman will be getting some sort of reboot in the summer or sure. something. But uh, yeah, this is uh, this is great news if uh, if you like Poison Ivy, but also if you like these female-centric solo series, which are so rare in superhero comics. Absolutely. Speaking of solo series, in a sense, <laughs> Hulk has had a really hard time in the last year or sure. two, I think. Uh, well, yeah, because, I mean, not only Immortal Hulk, because of the... The anti-Semitic controversy, absolutely. Yep, with with the artists. But then this latest run, which has had some great ups and downs. Mm -hmm. Uh, Ryan Otley has been killing an art, but Donny Case has had to to leave the book. Mm -hmm. And clearly stepping down in a a, kind of a weird way out of nowhere at the last second because Otley had to take over writing the last two issues. Right. And that Um, that ends with issue 14, correct? That's going to be the final issue of this run? Yeah. Yeah. Well, this week we find out that Hulk is getting an annual, Mm -hmm. uh, which will be a found footage issue. (laughs) Uh, David Papos is writing with uh, Kyle Majato on art. Mm -hmm. And buried in the press release, though, is that we will be getting a new creative team announcement in the coming weeks. Interesting. Yeah. Apparently Hulk is getting a brand new creative team sometime in the summer, I think. But uh, yeah, we got some information on this cool annual, which is a neat idea. Found footage story, if yeah. done well. Documentarians trying to find uh, Bruce Banner and talk about the trail of destruction he's left behind, and then yeah. finding him. So yeah, it's a it's a clever take. I'm honestly, I I'd love to see a Hulk movie that that's kind of takes that kind of tactic. Ooh, yeah, like uh, what are those uh, those alien movies? Uh, where... Oh, Cloverfield. Cloverfield, sure, sure. Hulk style. Absolutely. If only Universal Studios would. Freaking give up the rights to MCU. <laughs> but they won't. That's why you can't get a solo movie. Right. Uh, speaking of solos, uh, Nick Fury is getting a new one shot. Yeah. It's, uh, it's to celebrate 60 years of Nick Fury. Um, Al Ewing is writing with art by Scott Eaton, Tom Riley, Adam Kubert, and Ramon mm-hmm. Rosanas. Um, it, the cover by Adam Kubert appears to show multiple different Nick Furies. So. Mm-hmm likely we'll get multiple stories. Yeah, it, it looks like this is uh, Nick Fury looking into a uh, mystery that his father was trying to solve. So we'll get, uh, you know, both modern day Nick Fury and immortal Howling Commandos Nick Fury uh, fighting his way through the world wars, fighting his way through the 60s and the more spy-centric storylines. Uh, and then I believe we're going to get some more Man on the Wall Nick Fury in this story as well. Mm. So... 
I always thought that was a cool idea. Great idea. Uh, one that's not really been uh, used at all. So I, I'm really excited to see this sort of uh, retrospective story. I'm a little curious to see how it works uh, in 40 pages. This almost yeah, sounds right. like a, a perfect miniseries idea, but if if anybody can like sum up someone's entire legacy <laughs> in 40 pages, it's probably Al Ewing. <laughs> yeah, he completely understands the Marvel Universe backwards and forwards. If you've read anything he's done in the last 10, 15 years, right. like, he pulls from stuff that like everyone forgot about. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, this uh, I'm so excited. I'm a huge fan of 60s uh, James Bond-esque Nick Fury. So seeing right. seeing a new story in that timeline is really exciting. It's interesting Al Young keeps getting these anniversary gigs because he had <laughs> the Ant-Man uh, four-part anniversary oh, sure, yeah. series. He's he's currently writing the Wasp mm-hmm. anniversary series, and now he gets Nick Fury. It makes me wonder, like, in editorial, they were like, Ant-Man, totally. That's that's worth four issues. Wasp, yes, four issues. <laughs> Nick Fury, ah, I don't know. I don't think we're going to really pages. sell four issues. Yeah. <laughs> we'll give you 40 pages, not 40, <laughs> 40 issues. <laughs> and some more Marvel Comics news. Carnage is going to be fighting Miles Morales in Carnage Reigns. Oh, yeah. Seven-part crossover event. Um, this is going to be crossing over, of course, between Carnage the series and Miles Morales Spider-Man mm-hmm. by Cody Ziegler, Alex Pacnadel. Uh, Julius Ota is doing the Alpha issue. Mm-hmm. It's it's yet another one of these like Alpha Omega kind of event stories. Yes. Um, they did that with 2099 last year. Spider-Man 2099, to be more specific. Uh, the covers suggest we're going to be getting some Red Goblin in this series mm-hmm. as well, as long with some Iron Man. Uh, yeah, I don't know because Cletus is still trapped inside that Extrembiote armor from King in Black, so his his soul is wreaking havoc on Brooklyn, which brings him into conflict with Miles. Um, so right. this will be an interesting way to tell a new uh, Carnage story that doesn't necessarily step on the toes of this, you know, universe multiverse spanning story that Ram V is building out, uh, in the Carnage solo series. It's, uh, it's, it's clever stuff. And I'm, I love this creative team. Yeah. And we already know, like, Miles Morales is going to be popping with Federico Vincentini on art, Ziggler on, 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 on writing, but, uh, yeah, uh, it'll, it'll be interesting to, to unpack it and see how, if it's as good as um, Dark Web, right? Right, Nathan? It's got to be. I mean, it's got to be. <laughs> no comment. Um, no comment. No, I, this is really exciting stuff. And yeah. I I love, you know, I actually got really stoked about it because it was first announced exclusively at bloodydisgusting.com, which mm. tells me that this is maybe going to be a much more horror-centric story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which would be cool. I kind of wish these events and stuff happened at the right time of year, though. Yeah. Right? Like Dark Web, I think it would have popped off a little better if it happened in October during Halloween. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, I mean, but this I, is was... this is going to be in May, so who yeah, knows? exactly. They can't hit that Halloween sweet spot. But I do. I, I don't know. <laughs> I I like what Pac Nadell says about this storyline because he said he told bloody disgusting miles has only been this out of his depth on a handful of occasions which is a gift from a storytelling perspective so i love that we're also you know respecting the fact that miles morales knows what the fuck he's doing as (laughs) spider-man right yeah yeah it's it's great to see i mean it's very rare to see with superheroes right they barely evolve over decades yeah Um, right but miles has evolved quite a bit and he's only been around for like 10 years right right? exactly years Uh something like that uh, moving on to some movie or TV adaptation yeah. news, which is finally yes. has gotten the announcement that they're making an Amazon Studios cartoon adaptation mm-hmm. 
Witches is uh, a series by Scott Snyder and Jock. Mm-hmm. Um, it has been embroiled in Will It Be Made Into a Movie for quite some time. I think even you and I talked to Scott over a year ago about what's going on with witches, and he was like, I can't really say. We're working on to- something. Yeah, and then about a month ago, Jock started tweeting uh, images that seemed to be setting up something in the witches uh, camp. So, uh, it, you know, right. at the time we were like, oh my God, a new miniseries, you know. Uh, but yeah, this is this is really exciting. I, I'm curious to see if... Um, we're if if it's going to fall like it's actually going to ape jock's artwork because that seems to be what snyder is saying style he says Mm -hmm. like the animation brings the incredible art by jock to life so yeah yeah, i'm I'm curious to see how closely because i that book that'd be rad looks unbelievable and if we can get if we can get that in motion, holy shit. <laughs> it might be totally. the scariest cartoon ever made. <laughs> it's cool to see this like animation renaissance in a yeah. sense, right? Invincible was so good from Amazon Studios. And, and Invincible now we're get this. is like one of those rare books or one of those rare adaptations that is so close to the source material yes. and still like uh, improves on it in certain right. ways. And mm-hmm. that seems to be what Snyder's plan is for this TV series, because he's like, we, we want to do episodic format. We're going to expand the world. We're going to take the characters and mythology to terrifying new places. So I like I think we're going to go even further beyond the source material and tell new stories, which is great. And Scott did, again, say, don't worry, there's more Witches comics yes. coming, too. Uh, I say it like that because he has been saying for years now that Witches is coming. Well, yeah, volume I, one was, uh, what, 2012, 2014, something like that? Right. And I've asked him about it multiple times over years, and every time he's like, soon. <laughs> I, like, I okay. want to, but uh, hey, I'm, I've been writing Justice League for like three years. Can we? <laughs> <laughs> right, 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 right. Oh, man, I cannot... I'm going to lose it when Marvel eventually snags him to do something. I, I assume he will do Marvel. You think so? But I mean, you know, a lot of these creators, especially those like Scott, who've kind of accomplished everything. Yeah. Uh, they sometimes end up at Marvel or DC like Bendis did because it's sure. like, yeah, I've always had to, uh, a Superman story inside me. I wanted to write, you know? Right, right. Or in his case, maybe a Spider-Man story. Who knows? So maybe they'll do like the reverse of what DC did when Bendis joined and they'll just do like Marvel will put out full page ads that just say <laughs> Snyder is coming. <laughs> there was this uh, Gail Simone a while back had a had a tweet where she was like, what's something you can say both in the bedroom and at a comic shop? <laughs> and I just posted the, the Superman ad that said Bendis is coming. <laughs> That's great. It was one of my proudest Twitter moments. You know, too, if they did the Snyder is coming, people would be like, oh, Zack Snyder? Oh, oh. Oh, sure. He's going to have a really good comic series like that J.J. Abrams Spider-Man comic that was so good. This is me dragging for for, no reason. Yeah, you got it out for J.J. Abrams in this episode. (laughs) (laughs) Meow. Oh. Meow. Is there a cat fight? Oh, I think I hear a cat fight. <laughs> I thought you were. I thought you had just fully left the podcast to talk to your cats again. That happens. This, is the, this bit is brought to you by David Debonier. Uh-huh. My new name. Oh, it's good. Yeah, I had it. Uh, a social, new social security card, which just came in. Oh, great! Between now and when I said I want to change my name ten minutes ago, IDW has announced a new series for May twenty twenty three called Cat Fight. Yeah. Uh, this one is by Andrew Wheeler, who did the amazing Sons, uh, Sins of the Black Flamingo, Great which book. I really loved. Um, along with Ilias Curiosus. Yes, uh, I can't say it. Curiosus. Curiosus? I think Maybe? so. Curiosus? 
uh, with inks by August and colors by Dennis Yatris. Um, this sounds super fun. Again, yeah. sort of like an espionage thing going on here. Uh, a debonair one at that. Yeah. A, a jewel thief. A, yeah, jewel thief uh, with a storied career. Yeah, I mean, this is this is heist. classic kind of heist stuff. And I, I yeah. the artwork looks so pretty, so fun. Uh, I'm already very excited about this. It's nice to see IDW continue to do these creator-owned books. Yeah. It really sets them apart. Because, I mean, for so long, all they did, and they still do, but all they did was license books, yeah. it seemed. I mean, they have a deal with Scott Snyder right now with his um, horror line. That's right. Um, I love, uh, Wheeler describes this as John Wick meets Kill Bill meets Cats, as in uh, <laughs> the musical Cats. So hell yeah, brother. <laughs> Every time you do a pitch, just add in Cats. And then people yeah, yeah, go, like, yeah. wow, that guy's crazy. This is a cool idea. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to our next segment, top books of the week. We're going to talk about our mm-hmm. top two favorite comics out this week. Holy moly, we picked the same number two. Yeah, horror it, number one by Justin Jordan and Brom Revel. Uh, I reviewed this book for aptcomics.com and was blown away by the slasher vibes, yeah. the, uh, the monster vibes. I mean, the um, the 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 titular heroer is terrifying, right? Like the yeah, the this, design of him is really cool. This sort of crypt keeper, uh, you know, uh, the fiend esque monster. So it's 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 sort it's in the same vein of slashers with uh-huh. teens as our main characters. The, the book starts with um, a uh, uh, the horror killing someone, and he's, he's come back to town. Then we cut to a classroom where we find out this is a legend, uh, and only silly people believe in mm-hmm. this legend. Of course, we already know that it's real. But there's also um, and, vibes of, like, the lottery mm-hmm. and, like, these kind of classic, uh, you know, small town with a dark secret storyline. Right, right. Uh, also, I, like Scream, there's... Yeah, the, the totally. male figures in our, our protagonist's life are kind of weird and like overt and creepy, mm-hmm. and it seems to be like a celebration of slasher films. Yes, yeah, it takes all of the the classic '80s slasher tropes and uh, builds out this is building out this really interesting mythology with like who who knows what's really going on in this town. Um, right. I, it it kind of reminds me of what. Uh, Claudio Sanchez and Steve Niles are doing with uh, My Brother's Blood Machine right now. There's oh sure, it's a good time for like urban uh, urban horror meets folk horror kind of vibes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I yeah, I I really dug this first issue, and when it gets when it gets nasty, uh, <laughs> Revel like goes for it. Someone's head gets t- torn off. Yeah. <laughs> There's a guy who is nailed to a wall and his son finds him. And, yes. Uh, spoilers, but it's a really interesting moment because the kid just sort of goes like, damn, all right, well, I guess I'm in this spot. Like, I, it, I'm yeah. curious to see, like, why he's very nonchalant mm. about this. Right. And it sets up the fact, too, that he is, uh, he's got an armament that he could use. Yes. Yeah. But is this legend's physical can you actually sh- kill it or is it like you know freddy krueger and he's like oh sure imp- impossible to, to even hurt we'll find out my other big my other my, my other big thing with this issue is it just kind of ends right so like yeah, it, for a yeah. minute this wasn't in my top two until mm-hmm. i kept I, I realized i've been thinking about certain moments in this issue for like three days now right um, right yeah it's uh I'm, I'm it almost feels like maybe this was like a graphic novel that was split up uh into oh, issues sure i don't have anything to back that up but uh right it's uh yeah it it's it's an interesting cliffhanger to leave us on justin jordan's a great creator too like he yes. has so many unique ideas and he Everyone, I mean, it's been a minute since he's had a book, I think, but yeah, there was a period there where like 
Aftershock, Image. Oh, yeah. You know, he kept having these, like, brand new ideas. And I'm like, oh, that's a cool concept. Right. Absolutely. And it's also, like, a bit nostalgic in a sense, right? It's Since it is kind of honoring these slashers that we grew mm-hmm. up with. But what is your favorite book of the week, Nathan? My favorite book of the week was Poison Ivy, number nine, by G. Willow Wilson and Marcio Takara. This is um, the long-awaited reunion of Poison Ivy and Harley Quinn. And it is just, my God, I felt so happy after reading this issue, even though there's like a a longing that like is present throughout the whole thing. We, We really get to see how these characters... Uh, feel about one another i mean we know that they're in love but there's the narration through this issue is just so wonderful like poison ivy keeps talking about how she harley quinn is like this innocent and she loves to see the world through her eyes because it allows her to like have hope and and keep moving forward uh, even and feel and feel like she can be good again in some way and uh meanwhile it also sort of takes on elements of that classic Alan Moore issue of Swamp Thing where, you know, Abby and 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 uh, Alec share a hallucinogenic tuber <laughs> um, <laughs> because uh, Harley is basically kind of mushroom tripping through the issue and it's allowing right. her to be one with the green and see the world through Poison Ivy's eyes. And uh, it's, man, it's just a really... Uh, this issue, this series has been pretty dark and heavy and mm-hmm. about Poison Ivy kind of like, you know, coming into her own, taking back her own power, uh, resolving not to end the world, which she wants to do. Um, and uh, I, ju- I just love seeing these two characters have a happy moment together. Yeah, she gets a win in this issue, which yes, is great. Yes, absolutely. And, and the resolution that I'm coming home to you. Like I am going to right. finish this so that we can be together is uh, it gives this, this whole series like a new direction uh, and, and one that is based in positivity and love. And uh, that's exactly what I want these characters to have in their lives. I reviewed this one for APT and uh, someone shared a screenshot of one of my paragraphs. Uh-huh. and was like, this made me cry. Oh man. I shared it with a friend. He was like, you, you know, when you make people cry, you've done something right. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, yeah, it's a beautiful issue. It would have been in my top two, but, um, I'll get to it, my top in a minute, but it's, I, I also loved how poison Ivy explains why Harley gets her. Yes. And mm-hmm. it felt so unique in a way, right? Mm-hmm. Like not just anyone can love poison Ivy right. because she has a, you know, complicated power and a complicated life. And, you know, and they've passed, but they've both done things that they're not proud of and right, they're resolving right. to be better people and, and to do better. Right. Yeah. And, and it's, it's a beautiful moment. It's also a confirmation that yeah. they are sort of like soulmates and they belong yes. with each other. Yeah. And at the same time, they allow each other to live their own lives and go through their own journey too. Right. Takara's artwork is gorgeous, especially during the, uh, the, the, the more trippy sequences, but it, you're right. It like, it is a visual uh, representation as well. That these characters are like one. I also love the idea of like, superheroes just tripping for an issue because <laughs> that's sure, literally sure. Some, a lifestyle that a lot of people live uh-huh. and it, it kind of exhibits that uh-huh. which you don't ever see uh which was a fun little touch too yeah that's nice um and it, again it's like a com- this you know for years you know commiscators and assholes and whatnot uh-huh. have been like uh they shouldn't be gay whatever or harley shouldn't be with poison ivy and it's nice that they're reconfirming it mm-hmm. with this issue too 
Also, uh, my also favorite, nice yeah. uh, Poison Ivy basically telling her roommate, I can be as loud as I want when I'm making love. <laughs> <laughs> right. She's like, really? Her roommate? That was good. Uh, my favorite book of the week was Gotham City Year One, number five by Tom King and Jorge Fornes. Yeah. Um, so I've liked every issue. I know, uh, yeah. Again, I'm a... I am a homer for noir, right? Yes. Uh, I studied film noir in, in college. So seeing the, the, the visual tropes captured so freaking well in this book mm-hmm. uh, is just, it just makes me delighted. Um, they they really understand how to do noir, how to do detective mm-hmm. book. So uh, there hasn't been a ton of answers in this series until this issue. And we get a lot of answers in this one uh, as far as what happened with the baby and what's really going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I won't spoil anything here because, you know, the mystery is a big part of what makes it so great. Um, Jordi Belair's colors continue to be so atmospheric. They mm-hmm. just change the mood of a scene so damn well. And Slam Bradley's like role in this early Gotham is quite fascinating as this like gumshoe. And we learn a little bit about him and his backstory too. Yeah. And race plays a part in this narrative in a adult way, I'd say, especially for a, a comic that's set in Gotham. Mm-hmm. You just never see that. And also inks by Eric Gapster, just so, 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 so good. Always he, great. Um, he was on this podcast actually a while ago to mm-hmm. talk about his YA book, and um, yeah, I I just I have no notes as far as the visuals. It's it's the stark contrast between the blacks and the color, and it's just so spot on. Um, and we only have one more issue. So, as a penultimate issue, again in comics, I feel like there are usually are weaknesses with issue two and penult- penultimate issues, mm-hmm. in part because two has. Uh, you know, has to kind of set up where we're going next usually because the first issue's got to punch you in the face and make you want to read more. And then the penultimate issue, sometimes they do so much work to set up the conclusion that it just feels like one entire setup issue. Whereas right. here, we're getting a lot of answers. We're getting some crazy romantic murdering. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, people kissing in the rain in front of dead bodies. I mean, what else can, can you, you really learn from a, from exactly. a noir? <laughs> For anyone's life, really. I mean, that's... <laughs> With Valentine's Day around the corner, that we should all want this that. is the time. <laughs> but yeah, I really hope uh, Tom King and, and Fortes uh, stick the landing on this one because uh, yeah, I don't know how important this will be to canon, to be honest. But knowing that Batman is sitting in a room with Slam Bradley, who's very old and telling this tale, right? There's got to be some kind of revelation that could sort of make us rethink Gotham or Batman, right? Which again is just insane, and I can't <laughs> believe they're even doing it. <laughs> Could you imagine like a prequel to Spider-Man where we find out like Ben was a detective or so? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, that might be what the Madam Web movie is. So. <laughs> oh, no. Say it ain't so. Craven's his real father. Uh-huh. Oh, no. And then he's James Bond. You know, there was that comic book Trouble that was like, oh, by the way, Aunt May's actually his mom. Do, do you know? Oh, about- yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They've done that a couple times. Uh-huh. They've done kind of that kind of thing a couple times. Yeah. And fans usually react very angrily. No, I think they're very chill. Oh, I know. They totally understand how <laughs> comics are made and editorial decisions. But that, Moving that on is to a bad a... book. <laughs> yeah. Moving on to another editorial decision. Mm-hmm. Standout. Kapow! Moment of the week. Our editorial decision to talk about panels and pages that we really liked. Yeah. Super good ones. Totally. Absolutely uh, My favorite ones. panel or page comes from Daredevil, number eight, by Chip Zdarsky and Marco Cicchetto. Uh-huh. This book was in freaking insane. The whole book was basically a kapow moment. Yeah, absolutely. Daredevil fighting the hand run by the Punisher who is riding a dragon. Yep. I picked a page that is a double page splash of just the chaotic battle going on. 
Yeah, I'm and enjoying this insane. Punisher story more than the main Punisher book. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting it's slash wild. weird stuff going on in the Punisher book. Uh, meanwhile, Daredevil is like going rogue and setting up basically... It kind of reminds me of Greg Rucka's run on Punisher where he took out all the uh, Avengers. Oh, yeah, uh-huh. And it's like he's setting that up for Daredevil because Daredevil is like pissing off all the heroes essentially by doing these things. And uh, we'll see where that goes. But yeah, just a truly epic moment. Marco's art is just insane here and so detailed and just, I don't know, so satisfying. Totally check that book out. I'm a fan of any page that has like skeletons screaming and holding uh, katanas. (laughs) (laughs) Or heroes riding dragons. Yeah. Totally. I don't know why that doesn't happen in every issue, honestly, of every book ever. Poison Ivy, on a dragon, please. Get it on the dragon. <laughs> what was your favorite moment of the week? Uh, I really loved a moment from uh, Static Shadows of Dakota, number one, by Vida Yella and uh, Nicholas Draper Ivy. Mm. This first issue introduces uh, the character Ebon, who was a villain from the animated series Static Shock. Uh, and seeing how, I mean, there's multiple moments in this book showing this character who can control and become shadows uh, mm-hmm. at work, and he's tied up this person that he's interrogating uh, with his shadow tendrils, and at the end of the issue, we see that Ebon drop them off right in front of a speeding train. There's like a lens flare effect to the train that's coming and just so much motion that you can, you get out of the blur to the image. And this last shot of Ebon sort of, uh, his tendrils sort of retreating back into the shadows before everything goes black is, uh, there's just such a masterful use of, of light and shadow in this one page that I, it has stuck with me since I read it last week. Nice. Yeah, it's a very cool page. Um, this is a great first issue, too, by the way. Like, I am so stoked to have Static back and uh, and to see where they're they're kind of building out the, the mythology even more. Totally, It's a good yeah. time to it's be nice. a Milestone fan. Yeah, and uh, like we said earlier in the show, Icon vs. Hardware coming out next week, yeah. too. Yeah. Moving on to our top books for next week, mm-hmm. our most anticipated comics out next week. Mm-hmm. I can't wait for The Last Barbarians, number one, by Brian Haberlin and Gerard Van Dyke. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a fantasy book. Uh, the main character uh, who has the ability to use magic uh-huh. and whatnot. The covers are so gorgeous for this book. But I think I've just been jonesing for like a barbarian-style book. <laughs> sure, absolutely. Always with fun. Conan kind of in this interim mm-hmm. between leaving Marvel and going to, I forget the name. What was it, Titan? Titan. Titan. Titan Comics, Yeah. Uh, there hasn't been a lot of cool, mm-hmm. I mean, there is barbaric, no, yeah, barbaric, mm-hmm. but again, that's like, it comes out rarely. Yeah. So I want a monthly fantasy book with demons and dragons and whatever. And this great <laughs> creative team. Yeah, it should be a lot of fun. Um, I probably have a review for it next week too. Nice. And, Good uh, choice. expect a weird spider bunny thing. Okay. <laughs> what are you looking forward to? Um, I'm really excited for Fantastic Four number four by Ryan North and Evan Coelho. Uh, we finally find out after a, a few issues what happened in New York that caused the Fantastic mm. Four to scatter to the winds. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the last issue ended with a very strange image that looked like maybe a gigantic uh, Benjamin Grimm uh, looming in the background. I'm not 100% sure what's happening there. But Mm -hmm. looks like um, we're also dealing with uh, an invasion from the negative zone, uh, Mm -hmm. judging from the cover. So uh, very, very excited to see how this all plays out. I'm excited to see the team back together. 
uh, doing what they do best, saving the day, but also curious to see if they're still sort of outcasts from this experience. Um, right. You know, the, there's been a really nice mystery built up over the last couple issues, but I'm I'm happy that we're going to get some answers sooner rather than later, and then we can kind of see what this book is going to be from there. Yeah, we know from solicits that Dr. Doom is going to fix this problem in a few months. Uh-huh. And uh, we know from the preview for Fantastic Four number four that it is, in fact, an invasion from the negative zone. Mm -hmm. And Thing says something interesting in the um, captions. He says, not only does this take like five months ago, but he says, uh, that ain't right. It's now. It's always now, which makes me think there's some sort of time displacement going on or something. That's interesting. Maybe they're like reliving the invasion over and over and do something to get out of it. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I mean, we've already played with some time loops in the first issue of this series. So, yeah, that'd Mm -hmm. be an interesting thing to build on. I'm still not sure if this is somehow tied to Spider-Man and what he did. I don't think it is. I feel like it's not at this point. It's just a coincidence that they both created a crater. I think so. (laughs) In New York City. Man, if you're in the crater filling business in New York City, whoo, great year for you. Great year. (laughs) <laughs> Moving on to our next segment, Judging by the Cover. Junior. <laughs> Somebody put that on their Judging own. Judging by the Cover. <laughs> oh, that's pretty good. Was that in sync? Uh, no, it was, uh, this is how we do oh, it. Oh, Backstreet Boys. No, it's... Uh, Damn it. <laughs> hang on. Oh, I'm such an asshole. Montel Boys Jordan. Oh, yeah, I couldn't think Jordan. of the name. Damn. Blast from the past. Uh, my favorite cover comes from Batman The Adventures Continues, Season 3, Number 2, by Daniel Warren Johnson. When this was uh, revealed in the solicitations months ago, I shared it and was like, good lord, this is amazing. Yes, I remember. I mean, everything Johnson does is amazing, but good lord, this cover shows what looks like the, obviously, the animated series uh, Batmobile, uh-huh. but it's, all the guts of it are, like, exposed as Batman works on it. Alfred stands there with his tea and milk or whatever, <laughs> waiting for him to, to grab the drink. But yeah, it's just... A really cool shot of the Batmobile and it, the complicate the complicated nature of this insanely long. Honestly, doesn't really make sense that a, a vehicle should be this long. How does he get around this? Uh huh. But just to see all the the technology like inside of it is a neat concept that I don't think we've ever seen before. Yeah. In this way, anyway. I gotta say this this particular issue has some unbelievable variant covers. There's also one by Ben Temple Smith of the Scarecrow, his like terrifying mm. season three redesign. Um, and there's a, a Hayden Sherman has been doing these great uh, covers that are in the style of like the title cards from the original animated series. Oh sure. And this mm-hmm. one is uh, Old Flames with uh, Batman and Harley Quinn investigating nice. a, an empty room. They're just. All of the covers are so good. And this one was, yeah, this one's so great. Very cool. What was your, or what is your favorite cover out next week? I really love the cover for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number 137. Uh, it's a cover by uh, Pharaoh Paniche. Uh, I hope I'm saying that correctly. I may not be. But um, this is the the next part of the Armageddon game. Uh, it's an Armageddon game tie-in, the big uh, crossover they're doing right now. And the Turtles uh, are in a bad situation. Everything's on fire. Um, but the thing that really draws me to this cover is the terrifying version of the Rat King uh, Ooh, yeah. lording over it all with his maniacal, uh, jagged grin and claws and wild eyes. Uh, it's just, a, it's a hell of a cover. I <laughs> really, really surprised me when I saw it. It's like a movie poster. In yeah, a way, totally. It? Uh, it, 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 yeah, cool. it, it feels very cinematic and very like 
very final in a way. So I'm, I'm mm. very curious to see uh, how things turn out for the Turtles. You really shouldn't play the Armageddon game. It's just, it never ends well. No, of course not. <laughs> well, that's it for Judge by the Cover Jr. In our next segment, join us as Reggie Hudlin joins the show to talk about all things Milestone and some other projects too. Mm-hmm. So on with us is Reginald Hudlin. Thank you so much for being on the AFT Cowboys podcast. Oh, my pleasure. I uh, love your site. Thank you. I mean, you're a man who needs no introduction, and you've got so many incredible projects coming out recently, coming out soon. Icon vs. Hardware coming out Tuesday from DC Comics. Milestone's 30th anniversary special. I'm really looking forward to that 96-page prestige format comic. Being a podcaster, I get a chance to read some of these things early, and I got to read Icon vs. Hardware early, the first issue, and mm-hmm. I, I I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. Art, great story interesting no spoilers there's some interesting twists too but to start what made now the right time for icon versus hardware well when we relaunched the milestone universe you know we had the advantage of you know uh learning from what you know the original launch and we wanted all the characters to stay as distinct as they are but we wanted to build those connections very early in so we established that Alvin uh, Alva used um, Curtis Mag- Medcalf, aka Hardware, as a scapegoat for the Big Bang. So you know that ties you know Curtis into Static Shock, Blood Syndicate, and all the other characters affected by that. Um, and that Curtis Medcalf is a graduate uh, of the high school that Rocket and Static Shock currently attend. And he's the poster child for do your best and you could be successful like Curtis Metcalf. You know, so they all, you know, have, you know, these shared connections. And while the first story arcs of Hardware and and, and Rocket and Static and Blood Syndicate are are pretty much them separated, we said, let's start bringing them together. And, uh, And we thought, well, it... You know, bringing them together is really about highlighting how unique each personality is. And, you know, with a character like Icon, he's inherently a pretty optimistic guy. Even though he's seen hundreds of years of horrible human behavior and, you know, what whatever his experiences were before he even came to Earth. Right. Meanwhile, Hardware is a guy who's come up on the rough side of life. He's incredibly smart. He's a guy who always sees at least six steps ahead. And, you know, he's had some hard knocks. Um, His mentor has betrayed him and is now hunting him down. Uh, And, you know, which he anticipated to the point that he would build this incredible suit of armor in the first place. Right. 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 So now he finds out that there's an alien running around. (laughs) And... He sees that in two different ways. On one hand, well, what's that mean? What's this alien's intention? Did he bring some nasty viruses? All that. On the other hand, and this is the more pressing item for him, he's got technology I need to put my hands on. So he's on a search for getting his hands on what Icon has brought with him. And that leads to a lot of other discoveries, mm-hmm. which drive the uh, story engine of this this uh, new arc. Obviously, the very name of Worlds Collide as an event has a special meaning to longtime fans of DC and Milestone. 
I mean, no spoilers, but is there any particular reason that title was chosen for this? Yes. <laughs> Perfect. Well said. <laughs> um, hard hardware and Icon both have had a really hard time convincing the world that they're heroes. We've seen that you know, in the past and in the recent comics as well. Will throwing um, down with one another worsen that public perception? Um, yes, uh, <laughs> in some ways, but... Uh, the, 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 the ripple effect of their conflict um, keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. You know, when we say that their conflict happens over time and space, yeah. we really need it. Right. Yes. Well said. Well said again. Uh, <laughs> I mean, this book also does a great job of kind of catching us up as well. Would you say this is a good jumping on point for new readers or should they go pick up the massive hardcover? That's Jesus. It's such a good deal. Uh, or... <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I mean, look, uh, I, I think the first story arcs um, of all these characters are really, really good. Mm -hmm. um, and I say that because all these things are group efforts, right? Even though right. I was involved in all of them, you know, when I look at that uh, amazing hardware, you know, first season arc, I go, damn, this is a good book. Yeah. You know, when, uh, when I look at Static Season 1, I just go, well, golly, this is fantastic. And, you know, when I look at, you know, what uh, the amazing art and the amazing writing that Leon did to elevate whatever the heck I was doing <laughs> in, in I kind of rocket season one, very proud of all those books. That said, mm -hmm. if this is where you start, that's fine too. I, I'm a big believer that when I write comic books, my attitude is every book. Is someone's not only first milestone book, but maybe mm -hmm. their first comic book. Mm -hmm. And let's make sure that you can pick up that book and know what the heck's going on. Because right. uh, as a reader myself, so often I'll pick up a series that I'm not normally a follower of and I read it and I, I have no idea what's happening. I don't right. know who these people are that I just met and on page one and I don't know what the implications of that are on page 20. So I try to you know, give people handles so they can uh, follow what's going on. I like that. Give people handles. It's so it's so true, especially with ser serial storytelling with superhero comics in particular. It's there's got to be entertainment there, right in that first issue. But like, maybe they're gonna go back and start at the beginning or go to the first start. Yeah, exactly. Um, you mentioned Leon Chills, who's your co-writer on this, and we've had so many guests on the show where there's a duo writing team, and I always wonder, like, how do you do it? How do you break down the work? Does one person work on like page one and you work on page two or are you like trading scripts? Well, you know, it, it changes um, from story to story, from issue to issue. You know, um, we usually do an outline of the story together, mm -hmm. right? We just get on the phone and kind of jam a bunch of ideas. And, you know, he may do the first draft. I may do the first draft. It all depends. Uh, and then we hand it to the other and, you know, and then they'll do a pass on that. Um but it's it's so easy and so much fun to work with Leon. It's really been a joy. So, um, you know, he's a guy in high demand as well. So uh, I'm, every time I go, are you in for the next run? Yes. <laughs> so uh, so it's, it's a real pleasure. Yeah, you guys worked together before and, and it's, you seem to work really well. Now that you've worked a couple times together, is it getting, is, has the process changed at all? Are you like reading each other's minds at this point? Well, we were doing that before. I mean, that's what makes it so easy. We really uh, are in sync 
you know, um, you know, you know, it all depends on our respective demands outside of the book we're writing, you know, because, you know, we all have day jobs in, you know, film and television. So we're all juggling all our respective projects and responsibilities. I think something about Icon vs. Hardware that I immediately kind of grasped onto was this feels cinematic and this should be a movie someday. So, Reggie, when are we getting a movie? <laughs> uh, that's been the burning question from the time we relaunched uh, the Milestone Universe. Um, we, you know, fans, I'm very grateful to all the fans who are hungering to see, you know, milestone characters like Static, like Icon of Rocket, like Hardware on film and television. And that's always been uh, a really important agenda to us. We love making comic books, but there's no reason that these characters shouldn't exist in other mediums as well. And we're honestly, you know, very picky and we want to do it the right way. And we will take our time uh, if we can't deliver uh, the same quality in film and television that we're doing in our books. It kind of reminds me of Warren Beatty. Did you see Warren Beatty dressed up as Dick Tracy last night? No, I did not. <laughs> he was on TCM. Um, apparently he owns the rights, but he has to do something with it every 10 or so years or he loses the rights. And so he, he, he actually went on TCM and did an interview in character and then interviewed himself, Warren Beatty. He interviewed... Dick Tracy playing Warren Beatty. It's quite something. But that's amazing. But I bring it up because, you know, he's been holding on to this since the first Dick Tracy for so long. And he's wanted to make this sequel and he wants to make it the right movie. But um time is running out. And I can't I can't wait for milestone live action movies because I think I think it's a perfect avenue and it's great representation that we need. Oh, thank you. Now uh you know, what's great is that Milestone has always had the broadest possible following, you know, from people who read a lot of different comic books uh, and people who otherwise may not read a comic book. You know, uh, totally. one of the things I'm very happy about with this issue, uh, I showed it to my 18 year old daughter. Oh, nice. Uh, I said, take a look at it. Uh, and, you know, that's not a new request for me. I give the, I've give i been giving her comic books to read for a long time, which she always very politely hands back. <laughs> uh, and this one, she read the first couple of pages uh, about Rocket's new situation, where she's at a very high-end boarding school. And she goes, oh, I actually want to read this. Nice. I actually totally – I'm like, <laughs> you know right. – um, you know, our goal is not only to please current comic book fans, but to expand the market and, and get folks who should be reading comics by having a book that connects to them the same way that book connected to my daughter. So uh, uh, I'm very excited by victories like that. And, and seeing Dennis Cowan's art, too, like, I mean, he's right up there with John Ramada for me. Like, it's just so iconic. And, and, and getting new art, new pages, it's like it's such a treat. And yeah. I don't know. I'm just, I'm well, just it, gushing it, at this point. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I'm laughing because I, I, you know, I work with John Romita Jr. and I work with Dennis Cowan. I yeah. love both of them, both as artists and as human beings. Yeah. And I've been in situations where all three of us are on the phone and watching and listening to the Mutual Admiration Society. Oh, that's between cool. Dennis and John. And they're like, you're the man. No, you're the man. <laughs> and it's just like, 
<laughs> you know, so uh, I think a really apt comparison uh, between two amazing talents and amazing people. So we're going on to year three of Milestone Returns, I think. I have that math right. And so mm-hmm. where do you see Earth M and in, 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 in this corner of the DC Comics universe three years from now? Uh, that's what's exciting uh, about Worlds Collide is mm-hmm. that, you know, uh, it's a really important year for us, right? We've we've you know reintroduced the characters. We've you know um, you know really updated them so they are relevant to you know uh, readers today. And now it's time to blow things up and shake things up in a really extraordinary way. And the thing I can promise is that each issue will go in a direction that fans are not expecting. And that this story arc, story arc leads to a, a series of subsequent story arcs that each one will be more shocking than the next for audiences. You know, we just like, how do we make people go and see that one coming? Oh, what the hell? <laughs> you know, nice. so that's what excites us is that um, as wild as this first issue is, believe me, it just keeps escalating. Awesome. That sounds awesome. And then we've got the milestone 30th anniversary issue that's coming out in a few weeks. I think it's March 7th now. Um, can you tell us anything about any of the stories you're writing in that? I'm not writing any. Uh, oh, okay. I mean, but you know, one of the pleasures of uh, milestone is to invite. I mean, so many uh, either great um, uh, writers with tons of experience that like I always invite people come play, come play. You know, at milestone. And uh, at the same time, the Milestone Initiative, like my shirt here, yeah. uh, finding amazing new talents. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, for example, um, the artist who is, you know does the Rocket storyline in Hardware, Hardware uh, uh, Icon versus Hardware, is a graduate of the Milestone Initiative, and you know, so we're you know we're incorporating those amazing new talents into our books and into books for other characters and, you know, uh, you know, you know, uh, launching them into the industry the way that the first iteration of Milestone launched amazing new writers and artists. Nice. Yeah. That's always good. It it seemed like a long time there where, you know, rising stars, it took a while for them to break in and they're with these anthology kind of books, there's a a chance for folks to tell a, a snapshot and then, kind of gain a fan base and get people talking. Oh, absolutely. We feel like that. Uh, I mean, you know, we're not just, you know, fighting for, you know, diversity and opportunity uh, in, you know, in the books, but, you know, yeah. the process of making the books as well. And we just makes the industry richer. Like, let's find all the great talent that we can, including, you know, from some unlikely places where you'll get, you know, really original voices, you know, with something to say. Nice. Well, as a Renaissance man working in TV, movies, comics, what else are you juggling right now uh, outside of Icon? Sure. Um, I'm, I'm literally at the halfway point of shooting my new movie called Candy Cane Lane, Ooh. which stars Eddie Murphy oh and Dallas Ross and, uh, you know, Jillian uh, Bell, Chris Offerman, wow. Robin Thede, uh Chris Redd. I can keep going. It's yeah. an extraordinary cast uh, for a, a pretty amazing movie. So 
We've been having the best time shooting that. Oh my God. Eddie Murphy is up there with top. Oh my, I'm a huge SNL guy too, but so, but, oh my God, I, I envy you so much just being able to talk to him. <laughs> That's amazing. So doing that, um, you know, my latest documentary, Sydney, about the life of Sydney Poitier is yeah. currently running on Apple TV nice. and getting the most amazing reception. We, we keep getting honored with different awards. Uh, I, you know, uh, so it's just really been uh, wonderful to work with Oprah Winfrey to bring uh, the amazing story of Sydney Poitier's life uh, to the public. Um, uh, what else? Um, you know, there's, I'm always up to something. Uh, <laughs> so a um, lot of, a lot of, plate spinning, but really excited about everything I'm doing in all these different meetings. Actually, it's Black History Month. Um, I'm producing the NAACP Image Awards, which will be airing on BET on uh, February 25th. So, yeah, that's movies, you know. I don't know how uh, you find the time. It's crazy. Documentary. Well, you know, who needs sleep? (laughs) Do you find yourself juggling multiple things at once, or do you, like, focus on film, focus on comics? Do you spread it like do you No, it's usually a, it's a lot of things at once. Mm-hmm. Um but you know it's it's fun doing it because I, I compared to like I always say I'm rotating the crops. Mm-hmm. You know, so um doing something exciting in a new medium, a new kind of story, different kinds of storytelling, it just refreshes me and invigorates me. Like, oh wait a minute, this is the right story for this style of storytelling versus that platform or that medium. Nice. So uh, I, I like switching it up. It, it keeps it fun, keeps it a little scary. <laughs> <laughs> Fear is underrated as a motivator for doing your best work. Keep things dangerous so you'll never get bored. Exactly. It, uh, you know, you've, you've, you've written outside of Milestone too, and I'm curious, uh, speaking of like superheroes, is there a superhero story that's been in your back pocket for a while that you'd like to tell someday? Yeah, there's always stuff I'm I'm want to get to. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, there's a there's a bunch of stories I've had for a while that you know. Hopefully, when I finish shooting this movie, I can start writing some some big epic tales I've had in my head. So, uh, you know, absolutely, uh, I've got some big agenda items that I've you know want to start crossing off in the next couple of years. Are we talking maybe Marvel, DC, or are we talking indie image comics? Uh, you know, well, you know, in addition to, you know, my work with uh, uh, with Milestone, yeah. uh, I, you know, have a relationship with AWA, which is to oh, me, yeah. um, you know, uh, the most exciting uh, new publishing uh, uh, label in comics. Oh, cool. And, you know, working again with Axel Alonso, who I worked with, on Black Panther, and we really made history doing that book, and uh, the ripple effects of you know what we did in that series uh, continues in a really big way. Uh, you know, looking at Shuri now being the Black Panther uh, in one of the biggest movies of the year. Yeah, you know, she didn't exist before. I said Black <laughs> Panther should have a sibling. She should be a sister. She should be smarter than him. <laughs> and uh, you know, creating that idea that there should, you know, that she would one day be the Black Panther. That was all in our game plan. And now to see it played out on a global level is really exciting. So 
you know, actually like getting back together again, it's kind of like me and Eddie Murphy getting back together again. It's like, okay, we, we, you know, we, you know, we rocked the world last time. Let's do it again. (laughs) It's also cool. Like this idea that, you know, you might have an idea and 10, 20, 15 years later, it could become something entirely new, find a new audience. So always creating like you are, it's just going to reap benefits down the road, right? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, the thing is, I feel like I just keep getting better mm-hmm. at what I do. You know, yeah. uh, there's a, you know, obviously there's a, a, a great power to being young and just being, you know, that like that hunger of like, mm-hmm. I'm dying to get out the gate and tell these stories. Um, at the same time, as you keep doing it and, you know, you see more storytelling and you just get, uh, you, you know, your craftsmanship gets stronger um, you're able to better execute some of the ideas I had when I was young, but I didn't quite know how to approach them. And now I'm not as intimidated by certain kinds of stories. Um, so I'm ready to, you know, go bigger and more epic every time. Ooh, I like it. That's a great place to end the interview right here. Reginald Hudlin, thank you so much for being on the APT Comics Podcast. Go pick up Iconverse Hardware. It's out in comic shops in two days. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you.